We're going to dive right into the Word of God together. The message is entitled, The Walk, Essential Steps to Knowing Jesus. And this is part eight of our sermon series that we've been going through over the last couple of months. Now, uh, for those of you who are just catching up with this, you can go back to our sermon archive, the, the past messages there in the top right screen. There's a link that takes you back to our website. You can check out the steps that we've already been covering. You know, these are essential steps, essentials to cultivating a real relationship with Jesus. We've kind of been following the themes of a little book called Steps to Christ. And if you're looking for a copy of that or a digital copy of that, we can make sure to send you a link. So just go ahead in the chat bar. Let us know if that's something that you'd be interested in. Um, but today we're, we're actually concluding the sermon series. This is part eight. This is the eighth essential that we're going to be talking about. And today's essential is simply this. Choosing joy. Choosing joy is the last of our steps in this series. And I'm, I'm finding this step in particular, I'm finding it very relevant in the midst of this, this new normal that we're all trying to navigate. You know, there are lots of things that we're having to read and react to. And sometimes we have to react with a healthy dose of caution, a healthy dose of concern. But today we want to focus on something that we don't just react to, but something that we can choose in the midst of all that's going on. So we're going to choose joy. That's the essential we're talking about. And did you know? Did you know that joy is a choice? <laughs> the joy isn't just something that we happen to experience. It's, it's actually something that we can choose to experience. Philippians 4.4 4 says it like this. In Paul, writing to the Philippian church, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. When Paul says rejoice, he's actually He's not just saying, hey, this is something that you can experience. No, he's, he's giving a command, which means that rejoicing or having joy, experiencing joy is something we exercise our will to engage and embrace. So when we walk with Jesus, you know, I think we can all be honest with this. When we walk with Jesus, there's no immunity to difficulty, right? There's no, there's no vaccine against life struggles. I I wish there will, there will be someday <laughs> in that way beyond the blue. But for now, there's no vaccine against life struggles. But we do know this, that Jesus has promised that our walk with him can still be filled with joy in spite of those struggles. So today, we're going to catch up with, with two disciples who actually experienced this firsthand. Two disciples who who understood what it was like to experience joy, even though they were surrounded by sorrow and sadness. And their story is in Luke chapter 24. So take your Bibles. I've got mine here. Maybe you've got a mobile device, or maybe you're just going to use your computer screen here. Uh, there's a tab that says Bible. You can use that. But we're going to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 24. And now Luke is, is only 24 chapters long, so you can kind of get a mental framework of where we are in the life and story of Jesus. When Jesus catches up with these two disciples, and they're not, they're not part of the 12 apostles. These are disciples who are followers of Jesus. So when Jesus catches up to these two, he finds them leaving Jerusalem. He finds them, whew, he finds them filled with sadness, filled with sorrow and despair. You know, the farthest things from joy. Why? Well, it's, it's the Sunday after the Passover. And, you know, on the other side of history, we know that as Resurrection Sunday. But these disciples, they weren't there yet. And as we read the story, uh, I want us to kind of pick up on what they're saying because it's indicating something at their heart. It's indicating the things that they were so 
crushed by, the things that had robbed them of joy, the, the reasons or the factors for their sadness. So we're going to just kind of pick up the story midway through. All right. They've already left Jerusalem. They're walking to Emmaus. There's, there's two of them. But then a third visitor comes along and it happens to be Jesus, the resurrected Christ. Their eyes don't recognize him, though. And so they start dialoguing with this heavenly visitor. And in verse 18 is where we'll pick up the story. Luke chapter 24, verse 18. I'm reading from the New King James Version. The Bible says this. Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, well, what things? <laughs> I got to love Jesus. So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who is a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. Verse 20, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. Verse 21, but we were hoping that it was he who is going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain of our company, certain women, I'm sorry, certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Really interesting, you know, as you listen to, to how they're pouring out their heart to this, this, uh, this third party here, you can kind of catch a glimpse of what it was that robbed them of joy, some joy crushers. And I just want to list them out here just because I think at some level, each and every one of us can resonate. You know, the, the first joy crusher that I hear in this, in verse 19, they're expressing doubts. They've got serious doubts, not just doubts about life in general, but doubts about Jesus. Did you notice what they called Jesus here? In verse 19, they, they, they call him Jesus of Nazareth. They thought he was a prophet. They're not talking about Jesus, the Son of God. They're not talking about Jesus as the Messiah or Jesus the Christ. They're not even calling Jesus the Son of David. They're calling him by his earthly heritage, Jesus of Nazareth. Oh, he was a prophet. I mean, he, he was mighty in word and deep. But there, you can hear in that they're, they're expressing some doubts about who Jesus is. They're not just uh, kind of burdened by these doubts. They're also really hurt by the deeds, of, or maybe I should say the misdeeds of other people. In verse 20, they're talking about the chief priests, their own religious leaders, the failings of their religious leaders to do such harsh things to Jesus, the injustices, the, the, uh, the unkindness of others really whew, deflated their souls. But if you keep reading and just listening to how they're talking, they're not just burdened with doubts or the deeds of others. They are also burdened by the disappointments of unfulfilled expectations, things that they hoped for. Yeah, albeit, you know, they were misguided expectations. They thought Jesus was going to redeem Israel in the sense of being an earthly king to redeem them from the Roman Empire. But they were sorely disappointed. And, and not only that, this kind of left them at this state of disbelief. You know, they start talking about the women who, who ran to the tomb, who saw a vision of angels, quote unquote. You know, supposedly, well, this is what they said they saw. It's almost as if they're filled with disbelief about other stories because they don't know anymore what to believe or who to trust. 
man, these, these were really deflating their hearts and crushing their joy. Do you, do you know any of this road, this road to Emmaus, this road away from Jerusalem and, and far from joy? And just the other day, I was talking with a friend of mine that, you know, we've had a monthly uh, conference call because he, he's a pastor. He's a church planter in Bulgaria. And um, I've been kind of coaching him along as, as he's seen his, his core group turn into, uh, you know, a larger uh, small group. And then they've actually launched a church and things. But in our monthly gatherings, he's, he's usually pumped up. He's talking about what God is up to and what God is doing. But when I saw him just the other day on Google Hangouts, and you could tell that he was, he, was, uh, he was really burdened. He was talking about how all of this, this, the COVID-19 uh, restrictions. And, you know, he's, he's got um, a fiance who lives in France. And obviously their, their countries are locked down. His own city. They can't even drive in and out of the city. And um, he was really burdened, especially because they had been planning to get, wed, uh, to get married in June. They've been planning a honeymoon to, to Miami, Florida, and all, all of a sudden, because of all this, everything is up in the air. They're disappointed, they're, they're uncertain, they're unsure, that they're, all their excitement and celebration has, has all, all of a sudden been called into question. And maybe you know what it's like, you know, maybe you've been walking this road recently especially in light of the uncertainties of the COVID-19 crisis and the disruption it has created, not just in the world at large, but in your own world, in your own household. <laughs> Props to you parents who are trying to, uh, to do homeschool right now. Uh, and man, healthcare workers who feel like they're being thrown to the wolves, so to speak. Man, I, I just, maybe you're walking this road where there's so much around you, but you're not quite sure how things are going to pan out. You're on a road that's, that's far from joy, but I want to praise the Lord today because this road to Emmaus, this road away from Jerusalem, this road that is so burdened with sadness is not the end of the story. It's not. It's not the end. That, I praise the Lord because He is the one who actually reroutes our sadness and turns it into joy. So we're going to go back to this story here in Luke 24. Now let's shift our focus Instead of just hearing the heart of these disappointed disciples, let's shift our focus to the actions of Jesus so that we can map out our, our road to joy, so to speak. Okay, now, before we get into the steps that Jesus takes to, to turn their attention, I want us to recognize that while something, or I'm sorry, while joy is, is something that we can choose, like Philippians 4.4 4 says, it is still something that we we experience by God's power and not our own. In other words, we can choose joy, yes, but God is really the one who gives it. That's why, you know, when you're reading Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23, the list of the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, among the list of that fruit is joy. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, meaning that all those things, including joy, is a byproduct of the Holy Spirit dwelling in our lives. So yeah, we're going to explore this road that we take towards joy, but really it's a road that Jesus walks with us and that Jesus leads us on. So we're going to look for steps that Jesus takes to reroute our sadness and our sorrow, the road that we can walk with him towards joy. 
You ready? So what is, what is Jesus' road to joy here? I, I would suggest that the very first thing that Jesus does when we're just burdened by life's sorrows, the first thing he does is that he draws near. He draws near. Notice verse 15. Okay, this is kind of earlier in the story. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. I love this picture that Jesus draws near when you and I are downcast. In our seasons of sadness, you know, we might feel like he's far, but the truth is he's actually present. He's actually right there with us. Isaiah 63, it tells us that in our affliction, he is afflicted. When, when we are beaten up by life's disappointments or the misdeeds of others, we can know that Jesus is present even when we don't necessarily feel like he is. Man, this is definitely, you know, let, let's admit, this is a faith exercise. And if we want to journey towards joy, the first step, it's a step of faith to believe that Jesus is present and near. So that's the first step that Jesus takes. He draws near that our step is to believe that he's actually there believe that he's near, even if we don't feel like it. The second thing that Jesus does is he asks questions. He asks questions. Go with me again. Verse 17, you know, so Jesus draws near to those, uh, those two disciples. They don't even recognize him. But in verse 17, the Bible says, and he said to them, hey, uh, what, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? <laughs> It's a cool picture, you know, they're kind of going at it. They're trying to make sense of what just happened over the weekend. And Jesus just wanted to join the conversation. And he did it not with, with outright rebukes and trying to correct their thinking. No, at least, I mean, he addresses their, their thinking later on. But first, he just wants to engage them with, with questions. And they're open-ended questions. It's not an interrogation. They're open-ended questions. That is, Jesus draws near to let us talk to him so that he can listen. Man. Uh, yeah, Jesus will eventually address their heart of unbelief. Don't get me wrong. But he doesn't do that right off. First, he takes time to listen. And the reality is that we can always take our doubts and discouragements to Jesus. The two disciples here, they were already talking out their discouragements with one another, right? They were already talking this through. But it wasn't until after talking about them with Jesus that that conversation actually becomes constructive. You know, think about this. I think we, our default, when things go wrong, we're looking for someone to talk to. That's just kind of a natural, uh, natural response of ours. But there's a limit to the helpfulness of human sympathy in our struggles. Can we be honest with that? There's a limit to the helpfulness of, of social media sympathy in our struggles. Praise the Lord, though. We can talk things out with him. He wants to know what's making us sad. Not so much so that we can inform him about those things, because he already knows. But it's to give us the opportunity to take those things to him. Instead of just circling uselessly with ourselves or with others. So that's what Jesus does. He asks questions because he wants us to take those things to him. He, he, he wants to listen to our heart need. All right, the, the next thing Jesus does, he doesn't just draw near, he doesn't just ask questions, but 
he eventually turns these disciples to the Word of God. He turns them to the Word. Let's go there. Luke chapter 24, in verse 25. So this is after, after those two disciples, after Cleopas actually kind of responds and pours out his heart. In verse 25, here's how Jesus addresses him. Then he, that's Jesus, he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? In verse 27, notice this, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Jesus, the very next thing, you know, he's been listening. He's been, you know, probably giving good, good body language, reflective listening, things like that. But then when he has an opportunity, he's going to turn these disappointed disciples to the word of God. That's what he does. You know, Jesus understands. He understands that their sadness right here, their sadness is, is focused on present disappointments, things that have just happened. It, it, it's news. And while there's nothing wrong with being aware of the news, with being aware of present tense developments, the reality is we'll, we'll only find sadness and unbelief if we limit our focus to those things alone. So what does Jesus do? No, he doesn't just turn off CNN or Fox News or whatever. He doesn't just ignore the news, but he turns the disciples to the word so they can find meaning in their present based upon the fulfillment of God's promises. I'm going to say that again. He turns them to the word so they can find meaning in their present based upon the fulfillment of God's promises. When you look at what it was that he was specifically turning them to, you know, obviously he's going through a Bible study with them, but verse 27 says, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So here Jesus turned the disciples to the word in order for them to see him. And in seeing Jesus in the word, they could see their present circumstances with completely different eyes. And let's, let's try to get practical here. Let's, let's bring this home a bit. You know, some of us are finding ourselves glued, literally glued to our news feeds, our social media accounts, etc., you know, just trying to stay informed, and, and we, we ought to. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't, but we ought to be aware that there's more to this story, that the Word of God can give us perspective that this world cannot. Can we be honest with that? I mean, in our seasons of sadness, we can turn to the Word of God. We can make it a habit of ours to turn to God's promises when discouragement starts swelling up in our hearts. Let it be our default in our seasons of discouragement or doubt, not to be blind to or ignore our present circumstances, to pretend that they don't even exist, but to view those disappointments in light of promises that God has given, in light of promises that God has fulfilled and even will fulfill. That is, we view our present junk. We, we view our present um, disappointments and hurts and sorrows. We view those in light of God's faithfulness. And when we do that, we can let God's faithfulness and his fulfilled promises be the standard to which life is compared, 
and not the other way around. We don't let, oh man, this happened, and so God's promises not be, must not be true. We don't let life determine our view of God's promises. Instead, we let God's faithfulness and his fulfilled promises determine our view on life. Okay, so, so far we've talked about three things that Jesus has done on this road to joy. Um, so when it comes to how we respond, well, when Jesus draws near, then we can believe that Jesus is near, right? When Jesus asks us questions, we can actually talk things out with him. And then the third thing, when Jesus turns us to the word, we ought to view life in light of the word of God. So we can turn to the word for perspective, for God's promises. Okay, now there's one more step. We've talked about three steps here. Or there's a fourth one, a fourth step to joy on this, this road to joy. The fourth one is found in verse 29. Go there with me. 29 to 31, just kind of seeing how this story rounds out. <clears throat> Actually, I'll start in verse 28. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. Verse 29, but they constrained him, saying, no, 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 abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Verse 30. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. In verse 31, then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. <laughs> it's a really cool picture. So Jesus is as if he's making you know, a further journey than Emmaus. The disciples are, no, no, we, we love this guy's company. We, this, this Bible study has been awesome. And they invite him, no, please abide with us, stay with us. I love this. This is the last part of the journey to joy. Jesus stays with. He never leaves or forsakes us as we journey from doubt to joy. And even when their eyes are opened and he vanishes, I would submit that he doesn't leave. He doesn't leave. He may have vanished from their physical sight. No, but he continues to stay with, to be present. You know, at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus is ascending to heaven, like he's, he's leaving out of their sight. But Matthew 28 verse 20 says, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. The journey from doubt to joy, it requires God's abiding presence. Ask him to abide. Ask him, choose to abide with him. I love how the psalmist uh, describes it. David says this in Psalm 16, verse 11. He's talking about his path to life. He says, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Man, David got that right. In the Gospel of John, when, when Jesus is talking some of his famous last words there in the final discourse of John 16, in verse 22, he tells his disciples, you know, probably seeing the, the uncertainty in their eyes, he says, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and your joy no one will take from you. Man, why? Why, why will there be a joy that nobody can take from us? Because we'll see him again. We'll know that he's alive. We'll know that he's the living God. We'll know that he's the abiding God who stays with us. See, there's fullness of joy in God's presence. There's fullness of joy that no one can take when we know that God is present. Confidence in God's abiding presence leads to an abiding joy. 
So here, as we're wrapping this up, I, you know, I just really want to appeal to us to choose joy. If you want your walk with Jesus to be real and deep and revived, keep choosing joy. Let Jesus walk you toward joy. No matter life's peaks or valleys, let Jesus walk you towards joy. How? One, believe that he's near, and even when it doesn't feel like it. Two, when you've got worries, talk them out. Talk out your worries, your anxieties and fears with him in prayer. Then third, turn to the word. Turn to the word of God for divine perspective. Turn to the promises of God that he has fulfilled and wants to fulfill. And let that be the determining factor of how you understand life in the present. And then finally, ask God to stay, just like these two disciples. Ask him to stay. Choose to abide in his presence. So what will you do this week? What will you do this week to walk this road to joy? Again, just want to appeal to you. Choose it. Choose joy. And, And remember, in this process, let me just kind of add this side note. Remember that choosing joy, it's not just about increasing our personal happiness, but it's actually about strengthening our witness. Let me say it again. Choosing joy isn't just about increasing our happiness. It's about strengthening our witness. I mean, remember these two disciples, uh, the rest of the story, it reveals that when, when they start recognizing or when they recognize Jesus as he's breaking the bread, they said their hearts burned within them and they didn't stay long in Emmaus. They ran all the way back those seven miles to Jerusalem. You know, probably evening, tripping and stumbling over, over the path, but, but they can't help it. They are so filled with joy. And what did they do? They went back to Jerusalem. Why? To talk to the other disciples, to tell them that Jesus is truly alive, that he is the living and loving God who has conquered death and saved the world. When Jesus rerouted their sadness to joy, it led them to, it, it led them to buoy up the spirit of their friends as well. So choosing joy isn't just about being happy personally. It's about having a stronger witness outside of ourselves. When you and I learn to walk with joy, we can lead others to discover a joy that this world just cannot give. We can lead others to discover a joy of knowing God, knowing him as the one who never leaves us or forsakes us. The joy of, of abiding in his presence and being sustained by his faithful promises in the midst of life's uncertainties. Now, I want to leave you with one quote from that book, Steps to Christ. It's the last chapter called Rejoicing in the Lord. And when I was reviewing it this week, Man, this, this paragraph really, really hit home, especially in these times where it feels like, you know, we're really not quite sure how all things are going to be worked out or when uh, all things are going to be lifted, these orders and things like that. But, um, man, if you're finding that, that borrowing trouble about tomorrow is, is hurting your sense of joy today, I just want to share this. This, is, this comes from Steps to Christ, page 125, and it says this. We cannot but look forward to new perplexities in the coming conflict, but we may look on what is past as well as on what is to come and say, Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. And as thy days, so shall thy strength be. That's a quote from Deuteronomy 33:25. In other words, the trial will not exceed the strength that shall be given us to bear it then let us take up our work just where we find it, believing that whatever may come, strength proportionate to the trial will be given. Oh man, do you hear the confidence there? It's not self-confidence. It's confidence in the God who will provide all that we need when we need it. As our days, 
so shall our strength be. And the truth is we, we can't prevent perplexities and adversities from coming our way. We don't know when this crisis will subside, what the economy will look like when the dust settles, what our retirement accounts are going to, uh, how healthy they'll be or what, what it'll take to recoup those things. No, no, no we, we don't know. But we can be confident that God will provide the strength we need just when we need it. So let's choose today. Let's choose joy today. Let's choose to cultivate habits that make for an abiding joy, both for our own sake and for the sake of those in our spheres of influence. Let's pray together. Father, once again, we thank you so much that you are the one who who meets us even in our discouragement. Maybe I should say especially in our despair. Lord, you know the times that we're living. These things are not a surprise to you. You've already uh, prepared provision for us during this stretch when we're not quite sure what's going on. We can still lift up our eyes to Jesus. So right now we just turn our eyes to him. We pray that the things of this world would grow strangely dim. We pray, God, that you would lead us to choose joy each and every day. Lead us to an abiding sense of joy in your presence. Thank you so much for all that you have done and all that you have yet to do. And Lord, we we give you our future. We want to let tomorrow worry about itself. Let you handle that. And just today, we choose you. We say yes to Jesus and yes to joy. In Jesus' name, let the family say amen. Amen. Once again, thank you so much for joining us for this online worship experience. And I hope it's been a blessing to you and your households. Uh, Go ahead, even now, just uh, take a minute uh, just to say bye to your friends or or leave some comments there in the chat bar. Um, We are so grateful for the opportunity to still seek God together like this. And so uh, we'll look forward to seeing you online next week, April 4, the day of prayer and fasting. God bless you. God keep you. Take care.